listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, I received a request the other day that we should do an AMA. You ever spend time on Reddit? No, I'm not a troll. Okay. You know what AMA stands for? Ask me anything. Ask me anything. The downside of AMAs in our community, maybe not our community, in general, is that there are no rules to it, which is great, but we already do Q&As. And we've, in the past, we've done one AMA, maybe? It was like a pseudo Q&A plus AMA. Yeah. It was as much Q&A as it was AMA. AMA usually is, it infers randomness. Q&As are very purposeful. So to get a true AMA, people would have to operate under that that principle. But someone's always going to say, well, I've got them on the line. I might as well ask my, my training <laughs> question. So we're going to say yes to that person, but on our terms. Okay. We are running the AMA. With each other. With each other. That sounds like a terrible and great idea. Let's do it. So I'm going to ask you random questions, not random, but questions that I've had of other people or myself or you, and they're not necessarily going to have anything to do with training specifically, but it'll all be under the auspices of Kirk DeWint. Okay. So are these to get to know both of us or could it be uh, of other realms or is that where we're going here? Just, yeah, the answer is yes. I got it. Yeah. They can all be running based. They can be social based. They can be anything. So I'm going to kick it off, Kirk. Well, hold on. I'm stopping you really quick. I did that to you 45 seconds into the broadcast when we started rolling. (laughs) Yeah, what did you do? Oh, because one of the rabbits fell on camera. (laughs) Well, I'm doing it to you then. So yeah, back at you. Um, People, we still have our running public shirt giveaway going on. Can't forget that, Bracken. It's that's we're giving away three running public T-shirts, any color or size of your choice. All you got to do is go on Apple Podcast or any other outlet and write us a review. Good, bad, fantastic, underwhelming, one star, five star, somewhere in the middle, does not matter. Write us an honest review. Your name's going to be put in the hat. We're giving away three t-shirts, shipping included, everything, just for you. Um, so please do that. We, uh, we have slowed down significantly on our ratings and reviews because you guys were so good about doing it previously when we asked. And so... Um, we'd love to keep competitive in the running space in order to do that. We need to have interaction like that. And it's just slowed the last few months. So, um, please, please, please. If you've been thinking about doing it and you just want to do it out of the kindness of your heart and you already bought t-shirts, that would be cool too. But, um, anyways, that's still going on until the end of the week. So, uh, that's my, uh, reminder. Sorry to interrupt. Bracken. Here we are. That's okay. All right. Okay. In our family, our top two meals in terms of frequency that we make outside of like generic things like mexican or chinese that doesn't count specific things we make nachos and giant nachos and nacho giant nachos are just on a a tostada Um, and we make pizzas those are the two most prolifically made meals in the crocker house homemade pizzas or like yeah okay homemade 
What are yours? What is made most often in the DeWint household? I'm going to sound so lame. So lame. Every single dinner, I'm going to say six out of seven dinners is a white potato, a vegetable, and a protein source. It's so boring. The vegetables and the potatoes go in the oven, cook the protein source, however it is. Half Every other night it's venison, every other night it's something else. And we do that every single night until the weekends. And then on the weekends, I am good for a frozen pizza one night. Maybe we'll go out one night. But it is so boring. And every single day for lunch, I have three eggs mixed with either some venison or something else over a bed of white rice with a few veggies. I mean, I am very routine that way. It is boring. It is not big nachos. It's not that exciting. But it works. Giant nachos. Sorry, giant nachos. So that's it. I got – once you know, once I have kids, I have to imagine that will change, Am I, and I would assume. But right now we're just eating square meals, dude. I don't think it would I'm, have to change. I'm not perfect, though. I got I, Sometimes I get a little sweet treat after dinner. Some Ghirardelli chocolate happens to be in the house at all times. So I found this white chocolate caramel situation, and I'm good for a couple squares a night. So, Yep. There you go. All right. I'll ask you next. Do you remember first meeting me? And if so, where was it? First meeting you. Because, yes, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm trying to think. Was it at the Illinois Super Sprint Weekend? Or did we run into each other one time before then? It was. Do you remember which which one? It would have been... Would it have been the Sprint? Pretty good. Was I there day? I think it was day two. think you were in red... 2XU compression shorts and Innovate X Talon 200s? 190s, but... You had the 190s for that one? They're pretty muddy. It'd be hard to tell. Hmm. I didn't think you'd remember that day. I had run my first Spartan race, and I was gobbling up all the media I could, everything to figure out what I was getting into. And I decided last minute to go down to Chicago to run that Spartan race, and this is 2016, um, but the super was full, so I only could do the sprint on Sunday. And Robert Killian was there to do the super, then do the 24 hour or the 12 hour hurricane heat overnight, and then come to the sprint without any sleep the next day. And you were there. And I don't know why you were there, but I just watched all this media on you, and I was real starstruck. You were Mike Ferguson's <laughs> coach. And I was like, that guy is a god. Looking at him, your arms were all ripped, and you were over there. And I was like, that guy don't care who I am. But Mike was your coach under you. And so we we met each other briefly, but you were such a fanfare that I was just a quick blip. You stood in for Robert Killian on the podium that day, in fact. Yes, I did. So they called (laughs) Robert Killian up there, and you went up for him. Anyways, I didn't know if you'd remember that or not. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I lived about 18, 20 minutes from that venue. And I was coaching a couple people who were racing there. And I think we had the kids do the kids race that day as well. But Killian had to leave to go to the airport. So I figured I was the closest thing to a stunt double. Let me tell you what, folks. Bracken had a crowd around him the entire time. Bracken was so (laughs) cool. And so many people were coming up to you. I figured you just had no idea. Because I was one of those people. I don't remember you fanboying, Kirk. 
I didn't, but I didn't even want to try. I just like, hey, good to meet you. And I moved away. I, sh- I slowly melted away because I didn't want to be that person. Well, you had been in that situation at a magnitude of 10 due to your celebrity status. So you understand that that's a it's a it's a it's a tightrope to walk mm-hmm. to get some time with somebody, but understand that it's being divided many, many ways. I'm impressed you remember. I got. Well, I can't ask you race. the same question because it was the same place. It was all right. Yeah. Well, I feel like I sort of answered your question, but I guess you're up again. Yeah. So I want to know what was the most adversity you've ever faced in a race? Not necessarily your worst race. We might ask that later, but the most adversity you ever overcame in a race. Are you asking OCR specific or something else? No, your entire life. What race did you overcome the most adversity in? Well, I didn't overcome it in the race that comes to mind. <laughs> okay, so you're going to give me a classic Bracken answer, which is I'm going to I'm going to answer both sides. So give me that one and then the biggest that you overcame. Oh my goodness. No, I uh, I went to do the polar bear plunge 5k around Lake Calhoun here in 2000 and who knows 13 and uh I was in good shape I thought I was ripping for myself and uh we got a dusting of snow that wet snow and then it froze over and all I had were my road uh my road flats with no tread on the bottom and I ran in it was so frustrating and it was it felt very adverse because other people were much smarter with, than me with their footwear choice, and I ran in place for a 5K. I believe I was in roughly 16-minute shape then, and I think I ran 18.49, and mm. my hamstrings were sore for a week because my feet were slipping and kicking too hard, and I didn't overcome shit. In fact, oops, pardon my language. I didn't overcome anything except being frustrated and wanting to quit the entire time, and it was a stupid polar bear, bear plunge. 5k but a girl i had started dating was there she was coming at that she came to like hang out and watch and then do the polar plunge with us afterwards and i felt so stupid and so embarrassed i was like i'm gonna go crush this and she wouldn't get it so i just ran like a fool look stupid I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't overcome anything how's that for an answer that may sound dumb but it made a difference and do you want to know the kicker to that by the way afterwards we I had this big team and we did the polar bear plunge and i'm already a little salty right uh, uh about my performance for some reason i cared a lot about how i did that day it was a big event like tens of thousands of people come out for this um is i had a bachelor team meaning like people could jump with me and whatever and then the lake and so afterwards they gave me this dozen roses and I jumped into the lake with roses in my mouth. I got out of the freezing cold water. I ran up to the crowd with my roses and I turned around and like a woman at the wedding where she's going to like throw a bouquet over her shoulder and whoever catches it, it, whatever. So I went up to the crowd and there's like hundreds of people there and I turned my back and I whipped the roses over my head and I do it with such force that I slip on the ice and land flat on my back <laughs> in front of everybody. Still shirtless? Uh, I had a cutoff uh, lumberjack shirt on. Um, okay. 
and jean shorts. Anyways, uh, <laughs> and big, big hiking boots. So it was such a day. So that was adversity I did not overcome. That was a pretty embarrassing day. Again, that girl I was dating was there. So it was just a, not a good day for the showing, the DeWint showing. Is that you satisfied with that answer? Well, I'm happy with that answer, but satisfied. No, I want to know the, the most you over, overcame and came out the other side in a race. Like anyone can have a bad race. I want to know a time where it went wrong and you righted the ship. How about this? I'll give you one. I'll just appease you. Jeez. Is I went up to Red Deer. I met Mick Gerillo my first year. Went up to Red Deer for a back-to-back Spartan racing weekend, be my third and fourth races. I filled four obstacles on day one in the Super. I went from leading the race by almost two minutes to losing by like 12 uh, it was real, real ugly. I was real beat up as bad conditions, rainy, cold, slick. Everything was muddy, and I just wasn't tenured enough to. The next day in the sprint, I ran clean. I took care of business. And although I didn't win, it was a nice redemption to show myself that I could do things under bad conditions. And so. I came back and really had a lot. I felt stupid. I led the race. Everybody thought I would win. Then I pulled a woodsy, and I, I was pretty ashamed of myself, considering I thought I should not have failed as I did. And so next day I came back and, and ran clean in terrible conditions, got that dumb balance beam, and I, and I righted my wrongs. So how's that sound? I accept that. Okay. Can we move on? We can move on. All right. Well, that just spawned a question I have for you. Then what is the most embarrassed you have ever been in competition in your life? What is the most embarrassing sports moment for you? Non-endurance space or endurance space? In competition, eyes on you or in, in something that matters. I've been pretty lucky that I haven't. Like ball sports, I did for a long time, and I didn't. I'm sure I made I made some errors and such, but I never had like a game losing performance. I don't believe. But uh, probably all, but mine were running. When I was on our episode, Lisa on my episode, I talked about how I met Lisa. She was dating someone else. They'd been together for a long time. Some scumbag. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to speak to him. <laughs> I don't know him. I don't, I don't know, know the guy. I, he... I can't say I've ever had a conversation with the guy. But um, he probably assumes I'm a scumbag. But she and I met platonically, but there were sparks flying, and we started talking. And it was one of those where it's very clear this could and should go somewhere, but because we were both good enough people, it wasn't yet. Well, she was on the track team the year before this was in college and she wasn't this year she was teaching uh student teaching or something like that anyway i we had our home opener and i was gonna run the mile and i did run the mile and she came there with her boyfriend and her roommates to watch their friends and i was racing and i led the first three laps of the indoor mile and took last i cracked I went out in like 63 and then 67, and then I think I closed in something like 78 to finish, which is slower than five-minute pace. And I was I, I thought I was going to run like 419, 418 that day. And I ran in dead last the last two laps just jogging so in front of her boyfriend. Jog her. dying, really. Dying. As fast as I could run, but jogging. jogging. 
probably oh. close to six minute pace by the end. Were you pretty embarrassed? Was, was that embarrassing? So embarrassed. When that so start gun went off, was it like like all the only thought in your head was I'm gonna impress Lisa? Like was that part of the part of the thought process of that tactic, or would that have happened regardless? This was my first college race at the D three level. And in D one I had I had uh, only run one or two indoor races, and then I had uh, redshirted the rest of the year. So I had re- basically my second college race ever. So I was really amped up, and I, this is one of those I didn't hear or think or feel a thing until I started cracking. I didn't feel a step for probably 800 meters. Every time that happens to me, when it hits, it hits so hard. There's you go interest. from feeling nothing to everything. <laughs> oh. And then I started noticing. I saw her every lap. In my mind, he was smirking at me. He didn't know me. <laughs> he didn't know who I was. But in my mind, he was smirking at me every lap. Like, you'll never get this. You'll never get this. <laughs> did you give Lisa a race excuse afterwards? Did you Did you have to feel like you had to explain yourself for your actions? Did that end up coming I, out? I don't think so. I was just so disappointed. I came back in the 4x4 four four and cranked. Yeah, I'm sure she was real impressed there. She was already gone. Yeah. No, she she, she came back for the 4x4. Four four. That's pretty minimal embarrassment. Going out too hard, getting out kicked. It was the audience in which made it embarrassing. It was all in my head. Right. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a more embarrassing. I don't have a ton of embarrassing races, I don't think. Now, when I, I used to be embarrassed for guys or girls who went out too hard and died home and finished poorly. But now I, I tip my hat to them, to be honest. I tip my hat to somebody who goes and tries to grab a, a race by the balls. And if they fail... They fail more power to them. To be honest, I admire it a little bit. But um. oh, I do have one. Uh, I got stuck on the last obstacle at Tough Mudder back when it was the two lap format. And no, not why am I saying Tough Mudder? Uh, Battle Frog. Battle Frog. When it had difficult grip obstacles, a lot of them, and it was two laps. You did everything twice, and I blew up my grip on the final gauntlet, and I was stuck there. And I went from third to twelfth, just sitting on my butt, waiting for my arms to come back. And it was so embarrassing. So embarrassing. And Benny Gifford will never let me forget it because he that was the day he got to take me off of his dartboard because he passed me <laughs> after uh, I was there for however long he came through and passed me. And I was sitting on the ground and he has that over me now that he's beat me in a race. And he never fails to let me know it. That was my most embarrassing OCR race. That sounds about what I was thinking. So bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm happy. Probably with that. twenty twenty five minutes sent, spent just sitting there. Brutal. At my first Battle Frog, which was technically my first OCR race, I did a Warrior Dash years prior, which didn't really count. But um, I got to the double wreck bag carry. Uh, I was behind Mick Jarillo. Um, and he was just around a blind corner, so I couldn't see his tactic with the double wreck bag. Behind me was Jordan Buscemi, Earl Rugland. Me and Mick had gapped, and Mike Ferguson. Mike was, I believe, behind me at that point. Um, anyways, I didn't know how to carry two sandbags at once, <laughs> so I stacked. I put, put them under one, your arm. No, I put them. I put. I put it over my shoulder like you would one sandbag around my neck. And then I had the volunteer help stack another one on top of that the same exact way. 
So I, my, I couldn't lift my head up. I was looking down at my feet. My neck was out of line for a month after that. Imagine two rec bags strapped over your shoulder, but vertically. It was 100 pounds. And Jordan Buscemi and Lero Ruglin went by me with them stacked, one on each shoulder. They made up a minute and a half on me, and I'm supposed to be the strong guy. It was so embarrassing. I was like, oh, that's how you do it. I set them down. Then I was so tired I could barely get them back up. It was a mess. I lost like three minutes on it. It was terrible. Battlefrog will do that to you. Battlefrog got a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Yeah. All right. Insight on your desk. What books are there? Do you have any books in sight or have you cleaned? Uh, no, I, no, I don't have books on my desk. I just have my daily planner. So I have a paper uh, at a glance weekly planner. Uh, this weekly planner, I, I've tried to go electronic more than once. Uh, I can't do it, so I need to write it down. But I will show you here in my desk drawer, right where they should be, are all of my running logs. So this is where the, uh, you can see here, well, you can see the top one anyways. But I have no books here uh, whatsoever. All right, what's then, what's the last book, the most recent book that you purchased? Oh... And the most recent book you read, because they're not always the same. Most recent book I purchased was a, a deer hunting book. Yeah, what's it called? <laughs> About killing deer on public land. Uh, and that that book also has been uh, read, so that uh, or started to be read. So I'm not actually much of a reader. I will listen. Um, in commutes, I find I, I learn pretty well by listening, but uh, I haven't been a, a habitual reader um, in years. So I got pretty boring answers for you. I used to read a ton. Um, now I'm using the excuse I'm too busy, so I'm efficient with my time, and I listen and learn while doing other things. What about you? What's the last book you read? Oh, the last book I read was... would have been i want to be accurate here uh mercy watson there's a series of books called mercy watson i read it to uh, our children so that was the last book i read uh uh, last book i bought was the comeback quotient by fitzgerald yeah how is it i like it and i bought it at a time in my life where i needed that it's coming off my second knee surgery but uh, we actually have you and I both sitting in our email, uh, Born to Run 2. We have a PDF from the the author's agent reached out to us to see if we'd want to read it. And I haven't got around to reading it yet. Mm. All right. My turn to ask you. That one didn't count. What okay. is the dumbest, the dumbest things, the dumbest workouts you've had athletes do in the past where you like, if you could go back and be like Bracken come on like we've learned a lot as coaches over the years and Mm -hmm. we learned from our athletes what is one thing you're like i can't believe i was telling people to do this i wish i could pull all my athletes right now see i think i'm gonna toot my own horn first i think i was bang on on how to train for ocr via compromised run or race sim workouts early Mm mm-hmm so I actually have just tweaked most of my OCR workouts that I've had since 2011 and 12. A lot of them were just good from day one. 
What I was more embarrassed about is how I structured my weeks, my volume, or my intensities for athletes on the non-OCR work. I think that would be the most. Uh, workouts I gave that have no use on the trails or in the mountains. Following that belief of not totally wrong, but having to train for speed and at VO2 max and all that stuff. Yeah, that's all great, but doing it at improper times that just had no real use. Like Ryan Atkins just talked about on his last episode, training to the test, training to the demands of the race. I think early on I was too much in a vacuum. I was either doing OCR work or I was training people like they were getting ready for a 10K or something like that uh, or a 5K or whatever it was going to be. I don't think I could train people well for long-distance racing early in my career. Mm. And I could not periodize. That might be the worst. The, the flow of my seasons, I think if you look back to when I was first coaching, it was one big long build no matter what we were doing. Mm-hmm. One long flow, which is fine, but not if you're trying to nail a certain race or two along the way. It was the structure. It was the purpose behind the workouts. I missed on that a lot early. Mm. And you got to go through you? that as a coach, I feel like. Because like- I, don't, I don't have like that, that big dumb workout. I don't. I don't think I had any of those. I, I might have, but no. It was the. It was the structure of the training that I failed on early. Hmm. Okay, there were some race sims early on in your leaderboard days that were so complicated. I remember, like, I'm yeah. like, like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm like, <laughs> I can't do that. Like, I can't remember twenty things to simulate a race. Like, I remember those. Those were very. Per- if you could logistically figure it out. And, like, make it happen. But you'd have to have, like, the whiteboard right there. You'd have to be coming back to a center space. And that wasn't, like, in my capacity for some reason at the time. So I remember, oh, like, yeah, yeah. there were a few, be like, 40-meter yeah. bear crawl and then run 800 meters. And then, like, those things, I never did those things. Okay. So I think that workout was probably called Glen Rose. I developed that workout to prepare for the Glen Rose uh, championship down in Texas. That was mm. the Spartan super championship that first year. What I used to do back then is I'd run thousands or eights on every run. And then I had a bucket of paper yeah. in the central staging area. And as I ran in for the workout, I'd run in, I'd have to do one thing like lunges or crawl in. And then the moment I got in, I had to pick up a piece of paper and be doing it within two seconds. Mm. So it was like a randomization, but they were the obstacles. They were the bear crawl or the walking lunges or a a sandbag carry, a bucket carry, or a spear throw plus 15 burpees or whatever. But because we didn't know how to program that randomization factor, we scripted out the workout. Right, and it right. would have 15 very specific stations. So, yeah, that, I guess that would have been a miss early on. Well, I think some people did it. For me, it was like – it was very purposeful if you could figure it all out and remember it. But it's like it's too complicated for me to – it was like doing an yeah. entire race, but you had to have the entire race and the course memorized. Yes. Yeah. I'm not yeah, saying I it was had, a miss. I, I never script. did it. I never yeah. did it. But. Well, that's a miss. That's Best workout in the world that the athlete can't pull off is a miss. That's, that's on me as an athlete back in non-compliant, I guess. That's way back there. In... Oh, yeah. Right when I started. Very beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to know, what is the dumbest workout you've ever given out? Uh, mine's a more in theory, just like you. It was, it's, um, I didn't prescribe a threshold or tempo run, like, ever, like, back at, like, the bread and butter of what makes athletes good. I came off a of collegiate distance running, and it was 
fast intervals, rest, fast intervals, rest, like the track mindset. So everything was intervals and, and a decent amount of rest. Like, and it was just like those move some of the fitness needle, but it only gets you a third of the way there, honestly. And so it was just so high intensity, so interval focused and, mm-hmm. um, and none of that stay power was, it was rarely if ever worked. And I feel like it was the key to success, more intervals run faster than yeah. race pace as often as possible. And that'll make race pace seem easier in theory. That's great. And that's a component. That's one side of training, but training you metabolically, uh, to, to improve your threshold and be able to stay power. I missed the mark completely just slapping intervals at people just bam, 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 intervals, intervals, rest, intervals, rest. Um, I wish I could go back. My athletes now know that's very much not the case. And they're like, God, can we just do some intervals now? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's the opposite. And so, um, in hindsight, I could have coached, this is years ago, but yeah, that's where I missed the mark. I would say. I think I tried drilling paces on people. They had no business worrying about paces. Mm. We're we're working at at a mile race pace plus thirty seconds on these reps. Well, you're an eight thirty miler. Is it really? Do we need to be precise on that? No. We we should probably do a more. We should probably do a fartlek. We should probably do a cut down. We don't need to be running intervals at three k pace when you're trying to break twenty eight minutes for a five k. That you're you're not really working the physiological adaptations that someone who's trying to break 15 is working. I think I was too caught up in the weeds back then. Mm. What is the uh, most noteworthy gear malfunction you've had while racing or training? Um, I think my, I really had three big, I'm, I'm sure there's more, but uh, obviously in Tahoe, I had a glove rip. It was really cold at the top of the mountain, so I wore gloves for the whole race, and I had a glove rip while swinging on ape hanger, and that submerged me and that and cost me a penalty. That was tough. I ran the Indiana Sprint or Super, one of the two, one year in a pair of rubber bottom cross country spikes, not spikes, but rubber bottom cross country racers that I hadn't thoroughly tested. I had never got them soaked, and we went through a stream crossing, and the laces went from puffy to narrow and my shoes just unlaced and I had to stop and tie my shoe and about a quarter mile later the other one did it and then after the second time they both did I just tied knots in them and kept running but that that was bad and then there's one other effort oh in uh in in my first race at altitude incidentally it was probably the best I ever felt racing at altitude it was a sprint in Colorado Springs at Fort Carson and one mile into the race, I moved into the lead, started pushing, and stepped on a cactus. And as I um, as I tore off it, it ripped off the ground, and a chunk ripped on, stuck into my shoe and into my foot, and started peeling the panel of my Nike Waffle XC. This is still when I was wearing cross country shoes for most races uh, that weren't muddy. And I reached down, grabbed it, ripped it off, and it took the entire side panel in step off of my shoe it just flapped wide open and I had to run the rest of the race uh with and I was racing sockless so I had the inside from basically from the entire arch was exposed from the back of my front toe almost to my heels just open flapping and I didn't have socks on it was like racing in like sandals basically like with the top it was really uncomfortable 
but I haven't had catastrophic failure of other than that glove. That was kind of catastrophic. Hmm. What about you? That's not too bad. Um, none really. I, my first warrior dash in 2011 when I just did this and then I didn't find OCR for like another five years. This was just like a one-off. It came, uh, blew my shorts down. I had just these little split shorts on <laughs> and they had, uh, they had a fire hose that you had to run through and it hurt. It was like not okay. I was like, this is not safe, but it, it the angle of it kind of, sh- you know, exposed me on the front end, which hurt even more in that case. And so blew my loosely fitting split shorts uh, a little far down. Uh, for a brief moment and i was in the lead of my group so nobody was in front of me to see it but um that's that's it i remember being like that could have went poorly yeah that that's that's the fear is that in an ocr race your shorts get ripped right off yeah yeah this is kind of a different question but i'm answering it anyway when i was prepping for killington my first year uh hobie call was famous at the time for weight vest training and so i he had just run that year was the Fort Carson sprint. He ran it in a vest and a weighted vest, 20 pounds, I believe. So I, I got a 10 pound vest and I ran the tough mutter in Kohler, Wisconsin, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I almost drowned on the swim. <laughs> oh. You had to jump off of like a 15 foot platform into the water. And I was having a tough time. This is probably six miles into the race. I was having a tough time getting back up to the surface. Maybe it was a 12 pound vest. And then we did a swim where you have to swim and then go under a line of buoys and swim and under. And every time it was just a struggle to get back up. And then when I hit the uh, the shock, uh, whatever they call that, shock zone at the end, I don't think the the metal on the vest did me any favors when the electricity touched it. It just rocked me. That sounds incredibly stupid to wear a weighted vest. Really, really dumb. And I had uh, SI issues for like a year and a half afterwards. Could you imagine if that's how you went? Drown yourself because you wore a weighted vest? It didn't cross my mind we were going to have to swim. <laughs> I mean, imagine <laughs> in the middle. And I was running hard. Oh. Uh, I started in last place with a vest. And my I waited, I think, three minutes. And my goal was to try to get to the front. So I was running hard. Imagine 10K into a race with a weight vest trying to do like a 200-meter swim. Yeah, I can <laughs> and imagine. And jump off a diving board into the water. Oh it was Those 12 pounds might as well have been 40. It You're was lucky to be so here. panic-inducing. Luckily, I'm a terrible. decent swimmer, but that was tough. That was really that bad. That was terrifying. a terrible decision. That's a dumb decision. So too. bad. <laughs> what, are, um, what are like the first – like the common first three thoughts when you wake up in the morning, like what would be days? some of the, con- yeah, sure. Yeah. As present time, uh, first three, like ra- they don't have to be always, but the ones that happen most often, first three thoughts. I, this is a terrible answer. I just generally want to go back to sleep. I'm not a morning person. I want okay. to go right back to sleep. And then I, I, I basically think, Oh, I should keep get, I, I should keep sleeping. And then I, pause my wrist alarm and I get up and then my next thought is uh because it's always dark and I have my workout clothes waiting on the dresser and so then the thought is quietly grab them don't knock anything over and don't let the door squeak as I get out because I don't want to wake anyone up and so I go out into the hall shut our door and then usually the kids door is open by this point because someone has gone to the bathroom at night and so I sneak over and close their door so that they'll sleep in later so that light's not getting into the room and then it's how quickly can I get downstairs so I can go to the bathroom? 
Those are my three. That's legit. I don't want to wake up. All right, don't make any noise. And I need a bathroom like in the next 30 seconds or I'm going to explode. Okay. Yeah. I like the very, not far off from me. Really? Mm-hmm. But you're, Tip- you're more of a morning person than me, I think. Or you force yourself to become one. Yeah. You, your body does what it is told, right? I, uh, mm-hmm. um, when I wake up, uh, usually I've been like having to get up to pee for the last hour or two. So I'm restless. So it, like, sort of like, well, I got to pee anyways. So my alarm goes off. I'm one of those mm-hmm. who wakes up five minutes before the alarm goes off and just get up. I bet you my alarm goes off one out of seven days a week. And the others, I'm always up it's like my body's internal clock is just annoying mm-hmm. that way uh and then first it is pee i have to pee for sure and but the only thing i do before that is i shuffle i'm like coffee coffee and i just go hit the button and then i'm like how can i kill time until coffee and so i sometimes don't know what i do it's like this abyss of five to ten minutes in which i'm not really a human but uh and then i get that cup in my hand so it's it's pee but on the way, it's coffee. Um, and then I, I'm like, ah, what's sitting in my phone? Because I always go to bed so early that people always text me messages. Uh-oh. Did you freeze there? Connection is unstable. You froze. At least on my end, it looked like you froze. Yeah, maybe. Am I good now? Okay. And your, Storms are brewing. your audio is like... A half a second delayed to me but whatever yeah you're good you're, you're anyway so i wake up good. i think oh i need back. to pee but before that coffee and then i go i should look at my phone and then oh, i good. look and there's always Excellent. messages from athletes because they message me after 8 30 or 9 at night and i'm in bed early and so then i sit there with my brain not working responding on my phone to athlete messages uh texts or instagram or facebook messages that's every morning that's it not very exciting but i mean what morning is you know yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I had something I wanted to ask you and then our screens froze. Shoot. Well, I have one for you that's already in queue. What if you're cool say? with it. If there is one endurance athlete oh, this is angry at me. and their trait that you could well, do it. possess, you could steal from that athlete and it would be yours forever. Name the athlete and the trait. Not like even necessarily how good they are. Like, oh, this guy's the world record holder. So, of course, I want Eliud Kipchoge's oh, marathon speed. Like some, yeah, like what would be the trait in the athlete that you would? No, I wouldn't take something that specific. I'm going to answer the Kipchoge question you didn't answer. Someone the other day posted okay. on Let's Run, if you could be Eliud Kipchoge, would you be? And my answer to that is no. I enjoy my life too much to go into the type of monk mode that you would have to live 24-7 to be the greatest runner of all time. His life is his craft. And that is so admirable, but I don't want that life. And I think I would have gone many, many years saying I would do whatever it took to be the greatest in the world at something. But I don't think I want the lifestyle of the greatest in the world because I would lose everything else. You got to name the athlete, though. I want to know. Is it... But if I could have one trait, this probably isn't what you would be thinking, but I will. I think I would have, for a brief moment in time, and maybe even still, take Johnny Luna Lima's ability at his peak 
to just scream downhill all day long. There's something to me about that, that, yeah, I should choose John Albin's mountain running and his love of, of uh, and lackadaisical approach to running, or I should choose Ryan Atkins' engine and his ability to race all things all the time and close out every race hard. And maybe I would choose one of those too. But that singular, sexy, out-of-control, pinwheeling, springing like an antelope downhill of Johnny Luna Lima is one of the most spectacular things I've ever watched. And you can feel, at least I can feel in my body watching him what that must feel like. And I think I would want that. It's like a bowling ball going down a hill. Irregardless as to what's in its way, it is going down and it is going, it's plowing through things. And the only reason I know that is because in Tahoe, um, I was ahead of him at the top of the first climb and we began our descent after the swim. This is in 2019. I think he might have missed his spear. I don't know. That's probably the only reason I could have been ahead of him at that point. And I'm a good descender. Granted, I was very, very cold. The What he did, where he put his feet, how he went down that mountain was irregardless as to what was in his way. He was landing on rocks. He was in crooked terrain. He was cutting trail switchback corners. He was he was gravity. It was amazing. The the way he It's a bowling ball combined with a ballet dancer. I couldn't though. I couldn't duplicate it. There's not a chance. No. What he did in Big Bear in Utah, the way he attacked those mountains was just so singularly unique. That's pretty redundant those words together but it was i i should just choose ryan atkins or john alvin i should i just would take their skill set because then you could just go do anything you ever wanted to do let's go rim to rim let's go rim to rim to rim let's go run in the alps let's do tmx let's do high rock you could do whatever you wanted to you could go run a marathon john alvin ran a 226 debut marathon on a course with something like 2600 feet of vert without training on the roads you can go do whatever you want I mean, if he if he trained for nine months, would make it to the Olympics in the marathon. You know, it's it, it's it's ridiculous, but there's just something about that downhill. Yeah, it's sexy. It was so joyous and vicious and otherworldly that if you could do that, you would bring such a dagger to every race that you could use. It'd be it'd be pretty awesome. Can't argue with that. What about you? If you could have one, that that same question posed to you. One athlete's trait, what would you take? And really, I should just take Atkins' mindset during racing. That's what I should take. I'm going between three people, and none of them are OCR athletes. Um, That's fine. Yeah, I, 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 this is going to sound so pretentious. Um, when I watch Jakob Ingebrigtsen run, he's got a little bit of cocked hips and a forward lean. And I liken him very much to how I run. Now he's smoother and he's more efficient, but we don't run that differently. He doesn't look like the Kenyans with the long, thin legs that bound and flow. He sort of scoots until he opens it up and it's time to assert himself. I'm not likening myself to Jakob Ingebrigtsen, not even in the, the slightest. But do you understand what I'm saying? Can you see what I'm saying? I do. You can see traced of yourself and what he does so part of me wants to identify with his ability to tighten the screws so methodically 
and run the legs out of anybody else like with like calculated because that's what he does but i'm not going to use him that's who i wanted to use because i just like i it's so dumb to compare myself to him because it's we're on different um stratospheres but um i am just gonna go with cole hawker's kick when he's peaking because cole hawker has found himself in dangerous positions very often uh, we both had the man bun for a little while, so I kind of liked that about him. Never going back to that, by the way. But um, I just – something about switching the gear and making everybody feel like children when you choose to. It's a feeling I had in high school when I was just that much better than everybody else around me, and it's a feeling I haven't had in decades. And that is such an exhilarating experience to round the final corner and know that you've won the race and then do it. And he's just, he doesn't look that athletic. He doesn't look particularly like the best athlete in the field. He doesn't run that smoothly. In fact, he doesn't run very pretty at all. His mechanics aren't fantastic yet. He just guts it out. And so if I could take that and just apply it to myself, just that, like I, every time I, I, I get most excited to watch him do that and race. And so that's why I picked that one. Cole Hawker's kick. Yeah. I like that. However, Kirk, if I could just choose one trait, I've been thinking about if I could change any one thing, I would just want to be physically bulletproof. I like my skill set. I'm never going to be the best at anything, but I like who I am. I like what I do. I like how I can do it. I would want to be impervious to injury. That would be the one thing I would take. If we're talking superhero skill, just impervious to injury. All right, let's butter each other up here a little bit, Bracken. If you could have any of my, uh, of me, what, physical performance trait of mine do you wish you had and i'll answer the same for you what of mine your stamina just general stamina general stamina i think yeah like in what sense yeah you have the ability to grind to just run a high-end output for a long time i didn't always have that and i find that very very desirable didn't always have that that was that's a since I changed how I trained sort of thing. I mean, I was an all American in track in college and I was that year I was our eighth or ninth runner on our cross country team. I, the longer stuff didn't come to me right away. It was, it was this, that took maturity and miles and bank deposits for sure. I was a lot more like you in college to be specific. Okay. To be more specific then, a physical trait would be your ability to run fire road descents. Hmm to run smooth mid-grade descents i would take that then okay like, i love your you mindset when you run like, i've never got the best of you in a workout you can just take yourself someplace that I, I can't do outside of a race but that's that's intangible maybe just your five to twenty percent descents i would take that mm-hmm. smooth train i like to roll on those but sometimes i do feel like i leave my races and workouts and that is not a good thing hmm. you know i can't say i've ever uh-huh. done that <laughs> I have. I've, I've raced workouts on accident and realized it, it took away from races. Like, you know, how Tyler German said he left his marathon in one of the workouts he did three weeks earlier. I felt like that before. Yeah. Well, for you, Bracken, um, you're a true athlete. You're a true athlete. Kirk. Kirk, Kirk. You move. Kirk. The way you move even the way you like move through life, the way you walk to the car, the way you put your shoes on, the way you flow through things, 
is like, I don't think people realize what an athlete you are, like how agile you are. You're like, the fact that you're an endurance athlete goes against everything you would think you should be good at watching you do explosive lateral type movements. The fact that you can dunk a basketball with all the endurance training in your legs is I can barely touch the net, right? It's like, what on earth? Like, how do you possess the athleticism? The way you look, the way like, uh, the way like you're kind of long and lean a little bit, like you have a different way, different physique that you kind of look that part. I just think that, yeah, like the athlete, like you are just such a lateral, like, how do you do that all? How can you, how can you be an endurance athlete and a fast twitch athlete? But I think, uh, I think the way you move Blushing over is pretty here. impressive. Dude, when I saw you in the uh, when I saw you in the the only stadium race we ran together and watching you traverse, I had a good look at your back for a good bit of that race and it was just it was like smooth. Like you watch like a like a leopard hunting a gazelle and it's oh jumping over and under things and just like it's like effortlessly traversing terrain. It was just yeah, very impressive. The way how athletic you move is is uh, a rare gift. I don't know anybody in the sport that I've seen move like you did in that stadium race. So, I would say Thank that. Thank you. I'll tell you what, you mm-hmm. find a competition that rewards that, and I'll be a rich man. Yeah, it's impressive. There's just not mm-hmm. one. Some stadiums, kind of. Yeah, probably. Oh, well, that's yeah. that's quite the compliment here, Kirk. All right. Yeah. You you weren't going to get away without a, a shoe question. All right, we've kind of done this before, but one race shoe to rule them all, off-road and on-road. What are they for you? Uh, on-road at this point, and, I, you know, we had a conversation off Mike Bracken about how our moral compass has now been evaporated in regards to super shoes. Mm-hmm. The Alpha Fly is going to go on my foot for anything over a mile, maybe a mile or under on the roads. I would wear something else, but... I think anything over a mile, it's got to be the Alpha Fly. It works for me. Yeah. So that on the roads, um, on the trails. So one, no matter the terrain, I get one shoe. One shoe, just the best trail racing shoe. I guess you could leave out extreme technical. And I haven't raced in it yet. I've only trained in it. But gosh, I like it. I'm gonna go between the Scott uh, Kimbalu or the VJ Spark. Because the spark just feels fast, but I could handle it on most all terrains. But I'm going to say one of those two at this point in my career. I'd be worried about either one being too stiff, not running fast and flat, and one maybe being too mushy and then not handling the hard descending very well. So Scott Kimbalu or VJ Spark. Yeah, that's my final answer. What about you? Hoka Evo Jaws, I think. Even in the mountains, even in a rocky. Well, I mean, this is an unfair question because there's so many different things. I think I could get through most races in it, not ultra distance, but I could go okay. race it in Tahoe. It's a great a shoe. Half marathon. Yeah. It's a great shoe. You saw Leon Wastony and um, a few others. Who else used to race in that shoe? Anyways, running that in Tahoe. Yeah. Botrus did one. Josiah Middow. Yeah. Where I'm at Big Bear. Yeah, you'll see that. So, yeah, people do it. I don't know. That's the Super Track RC probably for Rocky Mountain work. So good. Love it. Mm -hmm. As long as it has less than 50 miles on it. Mm, Right. What about roads? 
Oh, what about Rhodes? I mean, I, yeah. I'm probably the same. Alpha. 5K or eat. longer, Alpha. Under 5K, probably the Vaporfly. I've never worn the Vaporfly yet, but... I just found a brand new pair of Vaporflies in my garage. I mean, in my basement. Just forgot about them? Yeah, I, I had thought they were too small and I intended to sell them. And then I put them on and thought, I don't think they're too small. It's not a bad situation to fall into. <laughs> it speaks to the unhealthy lifestyle I have. That it you really find does. another pair of Vaporflies. Speaking of shoes, I have a pair of women's Speedgoat 5s in size 10.5. I accidentally ordered a women's pair instead of a men's. And then didn't return it in time to get my refund. Somebody Speedgoat wants a fives? pair of 10... Yes. 10.5 Speedgoat 5 women's. I'll sell them to you for like 40 bucks. You want them? Somebody message me. They're just sitting here. Size nine for men. Is that what it is? I believe so. That it comes down to be size yeah. nine for men. Yeah, it looks sweet. All right. What do you got for me? So many things. So many things. If you, in three years, you do some sort of athletic performance that makes you feel like you can leave your career satisfied. What would that performance be? What would it take for you to be like, I am, I am satisfied. I've, I've seen my potential and I've realized it. Is this attainable? Like a realistic thing? Yes. This would send me off. Realist, realistic thing that you feel like you could do to be, to, to have some satisfaction in your career. Like what you haven't done that yet. I feel like you still think there's like that moment potentially out there for you. Um, what would it be? What do you think it would be to have you feeling satisfied? I think break 15, 20 and a 5k would do it for me from a me- like metric mm-hmm. standpoint wise break 15, 20. I, I would think that's probably up in my ceiling. I think if uh, they ever add a stadium to the national or U.S. or North American series, winning that. The last time we had the meeting of most of the best at a stadium, I won it. And it was one of the most gratifying races I've ever had. But I'd like to do it in the current era. And then, yeah, I think think just making a podium at a national race. That'd be it. That'd Those be enough. Good. Just do. I, I need to do something in the modern era. Both both road and trailer OCR modern era success. Just kind of justify what came before it. A singular podium in a U.S. in a national series race. Or I think that's all it race. takes. They're hard to come by these days, and I think one means that everything you did prior is justified. One podium or win in a big race in modern era. That's enough for me. I don't have, obviously, I'm sure you've noticed, I haven't had, I don't have that burning desire to be my all in OCR anymore. But, like you said, I still have things left undone, and I think one modern day podium or win is enough. But it has to be at a legit race. What about you? Give me one time metric and one performance metric for your happy. You can write off. Well, these should be stretch, right? Because what keeps us hungry is not attaining these things. And it's important to be hungry, right? So setting lofty goals is important. Um, 
but I would say at this point, um, I've never raced a marathon, but going and running two under two thirty, five forty four pace, I think that would, I could look back and be satisfied that I went out and did that. I think I'm capable of that. Um, the same marker now has gotten in my head about the fifteen minute five k. Either or of those markers, yeah. if I ran, which is four fifty four forty nine pace, um, which would be quick. And then um, I've got two fourth place Spartan finishes in a national series race, two fifths or a fifth and a sixth. One podium would be sweet, but I don't think it would be enough for me. I think I would need to do it because it's been long enough. I've been out of it now. Like I haven't, the last fourth place was in 2019 for me. I took fourth in 2018. I took a fourth, fifth and a sixth in 2018. Took a fourth. Then was 11th at worlds in 2019. But since what was I seventh at Jacksonville once ninth at Asheville ninth at big bear, nothing that got me to the top five. And I feel like I still believe like I could go and replicate a podium yet. I've never done it once. So for me, I think it would take one would be one would get me 80% of the way there, but it wouldn't get me a hundred. And so I would say having to do it repeatedly, that's what I would say. So let's bring that series to some flat courses. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Is that what it's going to take? Huh? Flat or at least sea level. Yeah. That'd be a good start. I yep. think so. All right, let's shoot each other one more and then and then maybe we'll we'll call it. <clears throat> if you could I got see one, for you. one no. band live, who would it be? Oh, just hard 180, huh? Yep. If I could see one band live. A good question. I like, yeah, I, I go between so many, but get my socks rocked off or like coffee shop, guitar, <laughs> chill. Like very different. I am going to go, it's going to sound so lame. I'm going to go singer songwriter type. I'd like to go see myself Ben Howard or like Tyler Childers. Just dude, guitar, singer songwriter. You probably don't know either. Neither. Um, I'd rather go chill somewhere, smaller venue, intimate. These guys are probably uh, Tyler Childers probably would sell places out, but uh, singer songwriter folk. Um, I'd go with either one of those. Not like a big rock concert scene. I'd go more like dim lighting, few hipsters around that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, let's go Ben Howard or Tyler Childers. What about you? Oh, Journey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. I saw Bon Jovi in concert and it was rocking and I've put them kind of in the same line. So. I believe it. Two best concerts I've seen are Coldplay and Dave Matthews. Mm. Tim McGraw was good. What was your first concert? First first like legit concert was probably mm. uh, maybe Nelly at Summerfest. Okay. Legit maybe nice. there, there, there's a few right in that era that all would have been the same I, i'm gonna say nelly i bet we were both at Summerfest at the same time yeah probably we ships in the night we didn't know it yeah i think My i saw first panic at the weird, disco weird Ali, at weird Ali Yankovic. Weird Ali Yankovic. that's <laughs> such a good answer he came to the state fair when i was in seventh grade mm. went to that yeah sweet okay last question then we should wrap this thing right. up um if you could be a professional 
in a non-traditional working sense. Like, oh, I want to be a accountant. Da, da, da. You could be a true professional outside of this realm, meaning running, coaching, but a non-traditional profession. Some if something you're passionate about and want to make money at. What would you, what would you flip the script and do? I think it'd be an author. Hmm. I would want something I could do from anywhere. Okay, I like it. What kind of stuff would you write? I would write. Uh, I'd write fiction. It would be. I don't know what. I might. I might have multiple pen names and write all sorts of things. But I would want something I could do from a computer, anywhere in the world, on my own clock. It's never too late to pursue that. Pursue that dream. You could do that in combination with what you currently do if you had the bandwidth. That's true. Mm-hmm. What about you? What What would oh, non personal you training? Guess. You'd be what? Uh, a guide, or would you just lead a hunting show? I would be in the the outdoor teaching space. I would start a podcast about <laughs> outdoors and, and 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 bow hunting. I would. Very so your much, dream I would like is to leave this podcast to start a different <laughs> podcast with someone else. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. No, no, it would be it would be very similar. I'd want to be in a teaching role again. I love the teaching aspect of what we do, but it would be in the outdoor space and it would be centered around uh bow hunting white tailed deer. And it would be uh, I'd, I'd get into the media side of things. I really enjoy bringing like bringing the stories. I do a lot. Of, I do filming on my own. Um, has never seen the light of day, but it's some of my favorite stuff to go through. And so, um, a lot of people on the internet, it's getting better, but there's a lot of good con. There's a lot of content out there about kill this deer and bam, yeah, like put them down and that I'm not really into. And then there's and then there's a lot of good content about teaching you and entertaining you along the way, like help me be better. Right. And, uh, and I'd want to like fill that space somehow. So okay. it'd be yeah, very similar. It'd be a podcasting, but outdoor, uh, pursuit focus. That's what I would do. Yeah. So not much different, but in reality, this, yeah, exactly. I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing Saturday morning with you. hundred percent quote, unquote, quote, unquote, here working, calling mm-hmm. and what getting to watch a live race. That's spectacular and commentate it with you. That's the good life. It's not so bad, is it? Wrap up and walk downstairs and family's right there. Mm-hmm. That's it? Yeah. That's why that's why it's fun to just play. But yeah, we're not we're not far off from center here, I don't think. So no. um okay, we're done. Are we done? We're done. We'll have a real AMA. I guess we can allow people to write in because they'll be way more creative than us, but this is what you're getting for today. I don't know what people are gonna think of this. Um hopefully just entertainment because you didn't learn much, I imagine. Um, Should we say, I mean, the the legit thing is that you're hunting, you're camping. Well, yeah. So I'm taking a week vacation to go camp in northern Wisconsin and go bow hunting. You're gone in this moment while this is out. Yep. I mean, I'm accessible. It's not like I'm off the grid, but it's just easier to do these ahead of time. And and we've been talking about doing like an AMA for a little while. So it felt fitting right now. Yeah. That's it. But um, guys, um, if you want a free t-shirt. It's the last time I'm going to plug it. I'm sorry, but um, we would really love the reviews, and we would love to send you a free T-shirt. So again, three people will be selected from the most from the recent um, podcast rating and reviews. So please, please do that. Uh, we don't ask very often, but when we do, we're sincere about it, and so um, that would mean a lot. Yes, it would. Enjoy the episode, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.
Thank you.